dropping the thin, almost translucent veil between that of fact and fiction, revealing mysteries of the past, folklore passed down from father to son, unsolved murders, and things that go bump in the night. You've entered Deceptive Reality. Hello and welcome back to the Deceptive Reality Podcast. As always, I'm Nick and this is Bert. And if you were with us last week, you're ready for part two of the exciting Circleville Letters story. Because Circleville Letters has had so much, Nick. It's crazy how great this story was. We recorded. So listen, we didn't change back into these outfits. We recorded this all night one, but we did not want to screw up and to make it super long or cut things out. So thank you for coming back. If you've not came back and seen part one, go back to part one. But for those of you that seen part one but just needs a refresher, check this out. Previously on Deceptive Reality, the first known target, Gordon Massey. His letter stated, Dear Sir, according to my girlfriend, you have asked her to go out many times and have asked the other female bus drivers too. There is also talk of you dating a married woman and taking advantage of them. Gordon, he's been up to no good. Gordon, according to these letters, are up to no good, Nick. In the crosshairs of this anonymous tormentor was a school bus driver named Mary Gillespie. I've been observing your house and I know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it seriously. Everyone concerned has been notified. It will be over soon. The letter was referring to Gordon Massey, the school superintendent, with whom Mary was accused of having an affair. What's your first thoughts? When you look at it, forget everything that the narrator just said. Look at the letter and tell me what's the first thing you you think. They don't know how to make G's. (laughs) Valid. They do not know how to make a G. Yeah. Everything else is reasonable. Those G's suck. If you're listening, your G's suck. Letters started appearing in mailboxes all over Circleville, accusing various residents of moral indiscretions and criminal activities. Ron was at home when the phone rang. The voice on the other end seemed to suggest that the letter writer was watching the house. He grabbed his gun, a 22 caliber, and stormed out of the house. He climbed into his red and white pickup truck and drove off, presumably to confront the caller. Ron's truck had crashed into a tree. Inside, Ron was found dead, partially ejected from the truck. Under his body, they found a Harrington and Richardson 22 caliber Model 900 revolver, which had eight live rounds and one spent round. Ron's truck was reportedly sent to a junkyard and crushed just days after the incident. That's a crime scene. Come on. <laughs> it is a uh, crime scene. They're, they're, they're hurting my soul here. After Ron has died, he's passed away, everything's happened, Mary admits to having an affair with Gordon, but she said not when the letters happen. After the letters happen, and because her and Gordon got so close, and now Ron's out of the picture, she was having an affair then. Alright. I'm gonna watch my words, and I'm gonna say bullcrap. Bullcrap. <laughs> There's no way. That's the and crazy you- part cannot convince me of that i'll use an old-timey word cockamamie story (laughs) cockamamie stories that is impossible to believe tell me about your annual ball 
Yeah, you got a gala? Attend together. One of the balls and galas? Yeah. Like, a special event? Don't bring your husbands. Don't bring your wives. It's only superintendents <laughs> and bus drivers. Leave them kids at home now with the yeah, spouse. Yeah, leave those kids at home. Um, you know, <laughs> no significant others allowed. Now, this thing, Nick, is about to blow your mind. It's about to take a whole new spin. All right. And I can't wait. Here we go. After Ron's death, the letters didn't stop. In fact, they increased in frequency and intensity. The letters were now being sent to other residents of Circleville, causing widespread panic and fear. In the year 1983, the Circleville letters took a chilling turn. Mary, still working her usual school bus route, was about to face a terrifying encounter that would escalate the fear and tension in Circleville. As she was driving along her usual route, something caught her eye. It was a sign posted along the road, but this was no ordinary sign. It contained a threatening message directed at her young daughter. The sight of it filled Mary with a mix of rage and fear. Driven by a mother's instinct to protect her child, Mary stopped the bus and got out to remove the sign. But as she reached out to pull it down, she made a horrifying discovery. The sign was rigged with a booby trap designed to fire a gun at her when the sign was pulled down. The realization sent a chill down her spine. The letter writer had escalated from threats to attempted murder. This was no longer just about anonymous letters. It was a direct threat to her life. In the aftermath of this harrowing incident, the local sheriff's department sprang into action. The gun used in the booby trap was quickly retrieved. It was a .25 caliber pistol rigged to fire upon the removal of the sign. But the most shocking discovery was yet to come. Upon closer examination, it was found that an amateurish attempt had been made to rub off the serial number on the gun. But the authorities were not so easily deterred. Lab tests were able to raise the number and the gun was traced back to a man named Wesley Wells. <laughs> I don't know if you can see me, but I dropped my pencil. I was so... <laughs> So flabbergasted <laughs> at this wily coyote thing that has happened. Um, oh, where do we go from here? Uh, so think about it. Think about it, Nick. Yeah. First, first off, I know I keep saying this. If you do not go to our Instagram for anything else, you have to go for this photo I'm going to put up. This is Nutty Cuckoo. It's a box and a gun and rope that was supposed to kill Mary Gillespie. They find a gun. This is literally no joke. There's a rope around the trigger of the gun. And also, I think all the other podcasts was confusing this gun with the gun that Ron had. Because this right. one was a 25 caliber. But... There's literally a rope attached to the trigger that then went through the box, which then went through to the sign. And I, I can't say what was on the, the sign. It was bad. And it was. Do you know? As a parent, I. In a few stories, it said what's there. I They don't have photos of the letter or the, the sign. All right. Now, here's something narration did not talk about. These signs has been up for years. It's escalated beyond letters. This is in 1983 that this occurred. When Ron was still alive, 
Mm. He was getting up early in the morning on his way to his job and taking Mary's route first and pulling all the signs up before Mary would go out on her route. So think about it. This has went on for five years at a minimum that we know of, and they didn't know what days the signs was going to be out and what days it weren't or that was not going to be out. But this one was specifically roped to make Mary angry enough to get out, A, because she didn't want her daughter's information to be out in the world. Right. It was deliberately made so she would pull that sign and kill herself. On her route. Someone had thought ahead specifically and probably had set them up earlier to make sure that People would notice them to sort of plan their behavior. Now, I don't know if this is important, but I'm going to call it out anyway. And you probably notice this as well. That's not rope. Do you know what that is? It's it's twine, technically. It's it, Yeah, it's baler's twine for hay yeah. bales. Oh, yep. I don't know if they that will become to important. It as rope. Yeah. No, it... I just call it a rope so people, because if I said twine, I'm not sure that non-country folk would know what twine is. Yeah, they've maybe not thrown hay up onto trucks like like I have and probably you have. <laughs> Correct. But that Correct. could be important, so I'm, I'm putting that down. I honestly thought it would have been important, but yeah. So they get the gun out of the box, and they discover that it's obviously loaded. It's ready Mm -hmm. to go. They find a serial number on the gun and it goes to another guy. Now this guy works at Anheuser-Busch, which is the bottling company here um, in Columbus. Right. Now another thing, and I don't know if you saw it on these letters. Was this the guy called Wesley? I'm sorry if I missed that. Wesley. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now on these letters, you see who it was going to. Where's it postmarked? Columbus. Columbus, Ohio. They write all of them. Wow. Yeah. Every single one is postmarked Columbus, Ohio. So how far is this? Columbus is right basically where I live. It's it's okay. basically it's it's the capital of Ohio. All right. So that's like 40 minutes I think you said before. Yeah, it's about 40 minutes. But here's the thing. Also, Mel would have left Circleville and it would have went probably to the Columbus hub. Okay. And then redistributed back out more than likely. Mm. But this is going to be extremely important for the future of our story also. Also, Anheuser-Busch is in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. So these these are maybe not coincidences. Okay, I got to know before we do the twist, is it a bigger twist than this? Oh, my goodness. All right. We haven't even scratched the surface, brother. Holy macaroni. We haven't even scratched the surface. Dude, we're just at the, the precipice. Wow. Right now. We're we're basically on the edge looking down going, we're about to go down this thing now. When I saw that Wiley e. Coyote trap, I just about flipped my desk. So 
So let, let's roll. Let's roll it. The revelation that the gun was traced back to Wesley was a significant development in the case. But the question remained, how did the gun end up in the booby trap? The answer to that question would lead investigators to an unexpected place. Wesley explained to police that he sold the gun to none other than Paul Fresher, who was Mary's brother-in-law. The connection was startling. The gun used in the booby trap had been in Paul's possession, but Paul had an explanation. He claimed that the gun had been stolen. Could it be that the real letter writer had stolen the gun from Paul to set him up? Or was Paul more involved in this chilling saga than he was letting on? Okay. So, Wesley sold mm -hmm. the gun yes. to Paul Thresher, yes. who was Mary's brother-in-law? Yes, it was Ron's brother. Ron's brother. So. I'm letting that sink in, Nick. <laughs> this, okay. So now I think we got two separate things going on here. Now I think there's a, a vengeance plot going on. And how convenient, but to write it back to the letter writer. But Paul wants to avenge his brother's death caused by the the at least mildly treacherous Mary. That's that's where I'm going with that. What's your thoughts? It well, I know. I know what's going to happen. Oh, okay. Well, you, you can't tell me that then, I guess. No. I Am I close? Hot because or cold? We don't know. We don't know. Ah, knows for ah, sure. Okay. 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 No one knows for sure. The problem is just right now. You think you kind of, you're figuring it out, right? I'm thinking so. Your question, you're going to question yourself another four or five times. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> because here's the thing. Think about it, Nick. Let's, let's, let's dive back from the beginning and we're going to, we're going to work our way back. These letters right. pop up. Someone yep. from clearly the district within the school that would know what's going on or someone that knows something about Mary and Gordon. Right. Ron ends up dying by the supposed person. But now there's a whole conspiracy going on with that because how does the gun end up underneath him? How is it he's got a blood alcohol over the legal limit? Why do they crush the vehicle three days later? Then everything escalates even more. Now letters are going all over town. Now there's signs all over the place. There's a booby trap. Someone's trying to scratch the serial number off. They figure out what the serial number is. They go, it's this guy at Anheuser-Busch. Paul Freshour works at Anheuser-Busch with Wesley. Wesley sells the gun to Paul. Paul's like, wait a second. That gun was stolen. Right. But let's say it's Paul. How would Paul have known that Gordon and Mary was having an affair? Unless he doesn't he work for the school. A letter. 
So he couldn't have been sending the letters. But here's the other thing too. I think, and I strongly feel, that someone wanted to trace that, wanted that gun to be traced back. Because if you really want to, you can get a serial number off of a gun. You said that it was amateurishly scratched off. I think that they wanted to look like someone tried to scratch it off but didn't succeed. I think they didn't intend to succeed. What I'm curious about and I can't see right now, Nick. Right. How many different hypotheses do you have going on on that notepad? I I don't know if you're going to be able to make heads or tails out of this. <laughs> uh, Cause I got little diagrams and stuff that I just haven't explained. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. We're going to upload that to the Instagram. So. Oh, it's uh, going to be, this is, this is why the story is so good, Nick. It's literally just the moment that you think you understand what's going on. It turns a corner. The craziest things have obviously happened. Like this is already a movie. Why they've not yeah. made a movie around this blows my Mind now understand this is about the point in time when unsolved mysteries did their first episode. Robert stack did it. And at the beginning of unsolved mysteries, you're going to have to go. You can find it on YouTube for anyone that doesn't know type in unsolved mysteries, circleville letters. You're going to see two different ones. The one with Robert stack was the first one. He or his journalism team went into Circleville, Ohio, and the Circleville writer wrote him specifically a post-it. Really? That said, do not come to Circleville, Ohio. Huh. In the same blocky letters, because they were also trying to figure out what was going on. I don't scare Robert Stack. <laughs> it did no, not nothing like, scares we, robert stack robert stack was like we had two options option one we drop it tonight we're airing the case of i'm like yeah. that's how you do it that's how you do it stack robert stack Golly, that's what shoes up murderers and spits out he stories ain't scared. He, he ain't scared. scared i was like man what a what a boss move robert stack, oh yeah what a boss move Oh, you know what? You you might scare Circleville, Ohio. You ain't scaring Robert Stack. I'm telling you. You ain't got nothing on Robert Robert Stack. Do you know what that trench coat he always wore covered up? (laughs) I I can only assume a lot. Pure freaking power. That's the truth. That's the truth. So now we got Paul Freshour, who's Ron's brother. And now it's going to dive into what happened to him, Nick. Are you ready? Yeah, I need this part. The plot thickened when personnel records showed that Fresher had taken a day off from work on February 7th, the very same day Mary discovered the booby trap. The coincidence was too great to ignore. In the wake of these revelations, the authorities took action. On February 25th, 1983, Sheriff Radcliffe asked Paul to meet with him and take a handwriting test. He asked Paul to try and copy the handwriting from the letters. Sheriff Ratcliffe also had him write the letters while repeating them verbally. After the test, Paul took Sheriff Ratcliffe to his garage and showed him where he kept his gun. The sheriff noted the location. Afterwards, the two returned to the courthouse, where Paul was arrested and charged with attempted murder. 
All right, mm. Nick. So here's the thing. I want to break this part down carefully. I because I don't want to give too much away. That's why I specifically left the narration the way it was. They bring Paul. First off, his name is Paul Fresh Hour. The narrator okay. will not say Fresh Hour. The narration does it once. It says Paul Fresh Hour. The rest of them is fresher. It's Fresh Hours. Paul. Fresh oh, I thought it was but, Thresher. <laughs> no, Fresh Hour. So the cops, the sheriff brings him in. Now imagine this, Nick. Let's say it's you. You know mm-hmm. you're innocent. And they said, "Listen, we need you to write these letters." Here's copies of the letters. <laughs> I want you to write these exactly like these. They're already blocky letters, Nick. They look like they, like you said earlier, was wrote from by like a six-year-old. Right. They take the letters back away from Paul and they're like, now write them again. As he's writing them, they're now telling him what to say in the letters. Right. Do it like this. No, no, no. Here's the letters again. Look at how he did this. Then they would take it back away from him again. It's a bit of a setup, ain't it? You you tell me. Sure seems like it. If you was a sheriff, is that how you would have done it? Absolutely not. In, in fact. Absolutely not. I, I wouldn't even have him doing it there on the day. I'd be taking his correspondence that he's already written, looking at that. As I know it exists, this is the 70s. You, there's no email. You got to write things out. So, and, and I do know that they make people do writing samples now, but I doubt the, I, I doubt the importance of that. You should take what you have from them already. Correct. Because think about it. He also worked for Anheuser-Busch. You're telling me he never wrote anything at Anheuser-Busch? Right. Not once. It's Come the on. 70s. Yeah, There was no computers in the 70s that he would have been using. Guaranteed, somewhere in his job, he had to write stuff down. Yeah, just look but, up for the Gs. Those Gs were so distinctive. Correct. But, in addition to that, he did have the same day that that booby trap was found, the day off. What day was that on? Uh, you know what? I don't think they said, and I'm not sure that okay. I know. It's, Mary would have been on the bus route, so it would have been yeah. through the week. I wonder if it was like a Friday or a Monday. Because well, people here's take those the thing. off all the time. He had an alibi. Hmm. His alibi was that he was hanging out with friends, and... If the police wanted to talk to the friends, they could to confirm his alibi. And I'm sure they must have. But then arrested him anyway. You ready for the next part, Nick? Yeah, I'm getting a little confused, but let's go. (laughs) (laughs) On October 24th, 1983, Paul went on trial for the attempted murder of Mary Gillespie. Although he was never charged with writing the threatening letters, they became a crucial part of the evidence against him. A handwriting expert testified that Paul was the letter writer. Mary also testified that she believed that he was the writer after his wife visited her with the same suspicion. 
Paul's boss also testified that he was not at work on the day that the booby trap was found. Paul had an alibi for most of the day, however stating he claimed that he was visiting a friend and could provide witnesses to support his alibi. Despite his alibi, he was still considered a suspect in the case. Paul never took the stand in his defense. Proclaiming his innocence, he was convicted and was given a 7 to 24 year sentence. So, I don't know if you caught this. At the beginning, mm -hmm. his handwriting analysis was never supposed to be part of his trial, but they became an important part of the trial. Right, right. And he no never took the stand during his own attempted murder trial. Well, I think that was because of the attorneys, right? A lot of attorneys, right. if if whether you're innocent or they believe you're guilty, they almost always tell you never take the stand because if the attorney, even if you're innocent, can cause doubt with something that you say, that's almost more damning than being guilty and saying the wrong thing because it adds um, another layer to the jury that makes them start doubting the story. So I think that was a power play for them to not get him in more trouble. I, I don't know. I think in this scenario, it could have helped him probably. <laughs> Prime example, right? If if we talk about the biggest case of the century, O.J. Simpson, did he go up? You know, I don't know. No. Mm. Convicted of killing two people. Let's use a recent case, the Lori Vallow case. Did she go up on trial? No. Convicted of killing her kids, her ex-husband, and her new husband's wife. Didn't go to the stand. Most attorneys will tell them, don't go to the stand, because a worst-case scenario is you are innocent, but it causes the jury to think otherwise because you can't answer a question right quite the way they want. So most attorneys will tell you, do not take the stand. Even if you're innocent, usually the people that does take the stand do screw up because it puts a, a bit of doubt in the jury's mind and they yeah. are charged with being guilty when they're really innocent. Man, that doubt should prevent them from uh, choosing guilty because you've got to have all certainty. Well, here's the thing, though. Yeah. An attorney's job is not necessarily to prove innocence or guilt. It's to provide whatever side you're on the best narrative. Right, so right. In their case, they're the defendant. Mm. They're defending against the state or the city in this case or the, the county. Yeah. So you have no clue what they're going to ask you. What if the question was something as as simple as, you have a gun, but you don't know, you didn't know your gun was stolen. How do you not know your gun was stolen? Right. Now, again, it's country. How many times is he going out to his garage, which is where the gun was, according to him? Yeah. And going, hey, is my gun still here? Not often. So did, did he only discover jury, it was stolen at that time? The way it was understood was they went to him and said, hey, we found this gun. Is this your gun? And he said, yes. They said, uh, why do you think we have your gun? And he goes, I don't, I don't know why you've got my gun. Well, it was in a attempted murder. What attempted murder? Then they bring him in. They do the handwriting analysis, explain what's going on. Then he goes to the, takes him to the garage to make sure a, it is definitely his 
Right. And he goes, oh, this is where it was. Because I, I see in a lot of cases where they present someone with a gun and they're like, oh, that gun was stolen. And then the next thing is, well, why didn't you report it stolen? So that's one thing I wanted to get out of the way there. But think about how easy that narrative is. If you're on the jury yeah. and you hear, well, you don't know where your gun is, regardless of whether you're innocent or guilty, the fact that you can't answer that question by itself yeah. provides doubt. Yeah, I, I can see that. But in this particular case, it didn't work out that way. No, yeah, quite the opposite. The part that cracks me up is the part where they're like, we're going to make you do all this handwriting analysis, but we're not going to use it against you. Then you yeah. go to court and they're like, well, look at all this handwriting analysis. <laughs> but they told him what to write and they gave him the letters and said, imitate the writing style. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, in that situation, I wouldn't be motivated to do that. I'd be like no. messing it up on purpose for sure. Here's the thing. If you're wrong, he could mess it up. They gave him the letters and said, imitate yeah. it. Now, if you start making it look like you're you're screwing it up, they go, why are you why are you doing that for? Yeah. That seems so he's in a lose-lose situation there. Lose-lose. But right. again, at best, at best, the sheriff is incompetent, and they've screwed this entire thing up. Right. At best. Well, I, I'd say his Let's defense say, has some has some problems, too. They should have presented oh, as regular sure. handwriting if the other guys weren't going to. For sure. But here's the thing. I don't, again, it's backcountry, right? These attorneys right. are not, this is a 70s too. This isn't like New York City. These are probably cheap county attorneys. Right. That, you know, how often do you have a murder case in Circleville, Ohio? I'm assuming not often. I wouldn't think and so. And one with this many complexities? I mean... Think about how many things have happened in such a small window of time. We're talking seven years. This is seven years later. We're up to, what, 85 now? In five years, look at everything that's happened. Yeah, I know. Crazy. And it's not like this police or sheriff or whatever's driving through town and not seeing these same signs. They're seeing these signs. They're probably getting these letters. Other people's getting the letters. Mary's calling every time she's getting a letter now. Yeah, and we're up to seven years so far, I think. Somewhere in there. That's just wild. Imagine the dedication. This this is dedication to a whole new cause. I I get mad at someone, 36 seconds tops. Then I've lost it. But think about it. Think about the time frame and where we're at. Do you still think it's a miscellaneous boyfriend trying to keep her in check? I don't know. I don't know. What about David Longberry, the guy that's in the school? Do you think he's going to keep this up for five to seven years? Honestly, I think that guy is not involved now. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm still <laughs> kind of sticking about? with the... But they're so much smarter than I originally give him credit for. Exactly. And they're that's the problem. smart, Nick. Because they're predicting smart. people's moves like 10 steps ahead here. Their Wiley Coyote device, like, they knew she was going to be the one to try and pull it down. Correct. Correct. Unless and she the- knew she was going to pull it down and she placed it there. 
Anything's possible, Nick. That is Anything's true. possible. This story only gets crazier from here. Oh, boy. Not, <laughs> Can you believe not that? possible. Come on. <laughs> With Paul Fresher behind bars, the residents of Circleville might have expected the letters to stop, but they didn't. The letters continued to arrive, postmarked from Columbus, just as before, but there was a problem. Paul was in jail in Lima, Ohio. This was a chilling development. Even when Paul was in solitary confinement, with no possible way to send letters, they kept arriving. It was a stark reminder that the true author of the Circleville letters might still be at large. Or was there another explanation? Could Paul have had an accomplice who continued to send the letters while he was in prison? Or was Paul even the letter writer at all? These questions haunted the residents of Circleville and continue to baffle investigators to this day. While in prison, even Paul received letters from the writer. One letter wrote to him said, Fresher, now when are you going to believe you are not getting out of there? I told you two years ago, when you set him up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all. No one wants you out. No one the joke is on you. Ha, ha, tell no one of this letter. I saw the paper. Great news. Great. The sheriff loved it. Ha, ha. Do you believe it now? Do you? <laughs> Every segment that the narrator gets done is followed by a stunned silence where I don't know what to say about this kind of thing. Think about it. Now he's in jail. Also he's in jail in Lima, Ohio. It said Lima. Right. It's Lima, Ohio, which Lima for me, you have to understand. Okay. If Circleville is 40 minutes, Lima is the opposite direction about an hour and a half from me. Right. So over two hours away from Circleville, Ohio. I would assume. So this is being postmarked. It wouldn't be in Columbus at that point to go to Circleville. Right. But the Plus, letters are still, postmarked they, they read all those things coming in and out of there. Like this is a fact right. has always been that way. And I feel like the person who wrote to Paul knew this as well. Don't share right. this with anyone, but he knows people are reading it. hundred percent. Um, so did it say something about Paul trying to set someone up? No, what it said was, um, hold on, let me, let me pull it up. Hold on. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Sorry about that. I had to look it up. So it's, this is not a great copy. I'll try to find a little bit better copy for our Instagram, but it says fresh hour. Now, when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there? I told you two years ago when we, when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all. No one wants you out. No one. The joke is on you. Ha ha. Tell no one of this letter. I saw the paper. Great news. Great. The sheriff loved it. Ha ha. Do you believe it now? Do you? Now, the thing is, if you look at the lettering, Nick, mm -hmm. it's not the same as it was before. No, he's gotten practice on making the letters straight up and down now. Now things are looking a little bit more obvious that they're not trying to be as blockish. But the key word, and I emphasized it, when we. Yes, I saw we that. We set them up. If 
they were talking about themselves. Why would they talk them talk about themselves in plural? Right. It's a very weird way to do it at best. Yeah. There's always something that sticks out in every one of these. There's always something that's said that makes you wonder if it's intentional or do they want it to seem like they've slipped up? What's that? Like every letter. Like the part you just pointed out, we. Like, do they want us to believe that they slipped up and said we? That there's multiple ones of them? Or did they do That's that to throw you off? That's the thing. I I was like you when I first when I first saw this, and I knew I wanted to do the story forever because I'm like such a great story. Right. In the very beginning, when I first started looking at all this, I was like you, and I'm like, this person's illiterate for one, and for two, if they're illiterate this bad, they're stupid. Like they're not. <laughs> they're clearly right. not. You know, it's not going to take McGruff the crime dog to figure this out. How is this still a mystery? But right. as time went on, I started going, wait a second. Why are they doing stuff like this? Like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, and they've never spelled a single word wrong. I've been checking. Correct. Not a single word is spelled wrong What's or misused. Dot, dot, though? That is, and that's dot, common dot to everyone. Lot. It's very common. Yeah, their G's have changed. They've lost the slant. In the letter, you only see it in certain parts, like the ha-ha tilted right. The first occurrence, anyway. You see it a little bit with it, with believe you. But they're taking great pains now for the letters to be straight up and down. Right. And here's the other thing. He gets this letter in jail. They threw the man in solitary confinement. No letters in, no letters out. Right. They lock him up for a long period of time. These letters are still happening, still being postmarked out yep. of Columbus, Ohio. He's in Lima, Ohio. Like nothing has changed. Like nothing has changed. Was there Andy even a delay? A to him mocking. There's no delay. They continued. Yeah. So he may never have even he, initially known that he was going away like no. that. Mm. But again, it seems odd because he had a day off. Right. Then they find the booby trap same day. Yeah. He doesn't know where his gun's at. Right. Everything points at the man for the most part, like half of it. You're like, ah, no yeah. fresh hour. That sounds a little weird. But then the other half you go, this poor guy's been set up. Yeah, well, half the stuff seems weird. Half the stuff that other people could control. The stuff that was under his control seems perfectly normal. Going to a friend's, taking a day off, all that kind of stuff. Maybe the friend asked him to take a day off. Maybe the friend's involved in it. I think once we get to the end, you and I are going to come to the same conclusion. Okay. Because I can tell the way you're leaning on stuff. But this is definitely a part in the story where you go, what is going on? Why is this a thing? The crazy part was people still believe that he was doing this while in solitary confinement. 
because How? they said that he was he bribed or or bought cops or prison guards to send the letters for him or or at a minimum he was slipping them the letters don't buy it they wouldn't if have I'm kept in the quiet. prison and I'm a prison guard, am I risking my job for a guy that's behind jail who's just writing dumb letters? Like there's nothing. He wasn't rich. What's he going right. to bribe him with? He doesn't right. have anything. Just so this guy can perpetuate some kind of terror story. I don't think Correct. so. I don't think so. It doesn't make sense. But no. that's what the public thought. Yeah. And in fact... The next part of the story is you're going to be like, why are these people in Circleville stupid? <laughs> also, if you live in Circleville, I don't think you're stupid. But the people back in the no. 70 that may have been relatives and or friends of yours may have been a little dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. We, we like the look of your town, though. It's very circular. It's very nice. Very circular. Listen, y'all got some sweet geometry going on there for yeah. sure. <laughs> Check this out, Nick. In December 1990, Paul became eligible for parole. However, due to the ongoing letters, his parole was denied. The authorities believed that he was somehow involved in their continuation, despite the fact that he was behind bars and had no way of sending them. Finally, in May 1994, Paul was granted parole. He walked out of prison, a free man, but with the shadow of the Circleville letters still hanging over him. He continued to maintain his innocence, insisting that he had nothing to do with the letters. Despite his release, the mystery of the Circleville letters remained unsolved. The true author of the letters has never been revealed, leaving a cloud of suspicion and fear hanging over the town of Circleville. All of that said, the day that Paul was released, all letters stopped coming. Nick and Bert, are you ready to discuss the theories of who was behind all this? Not Paul. <laughs> it's not paul i'm sorry everyone Here, here's the thing that blows my mind they they deny his parole he's in jail for i forget how many years it was a long time yeah he went to his deathbed saying i had nothing to do with this i have no clue what's going on right but they kept him in jail longer again at a minimum at a minimum the police are completely bypassing who the real author of the letters are. Now, in addition to that, the FBI was also had a case trying to figure it out. They could never figure it out. Um, multiple bureaus came in to also try to assist. They could never figure out who it was. But again, if you're the police and you've screwed up this many times, the authorities are like, yeah, we don't know how he's doing it. Maybe he's doing a David Blaine over here. Like, I don't know what he's got going on. It would on, be real easy to figure it out if it was happening. You oh, yeah, you know, just sure. sit a chair down there and watch him for a couple weeks. Like, point Correct. a camera at him, something. It's not Paul. And, it's and not. again, it's 1970s. There's no emails. There's no right. text messages. There's phone calls coming in and out of the jail, which you know as well as I I do. They're all monitored. Yeah. All the letters coming in and out are all monitored. Right. How could you not know that at a minimum, it was not him while he was in jail? At a minimum. It's insane. 
like, there's nothing that could convince me that this guy was anything other than set up. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And then they stop the moment he gets out, the time when it's easiest for him to send them. Correct. Jeez. Was this so he a- goes to jail this entire time. And it do- the letters do not stop until the day he's let out. And right. then there was no letters after that. Not a single right. letter. Was he the target all along? No. Technically, that's, that's giving him too much target. credit. Technically, uh, Mary was the target the entire time. But the thing I hate about the podcasts are they basically reflect even unsolved mysteries. And I, l- listen, I love Robert Stack. He's my mm, boy. Mm-hmm. They made the story about Mary. Right. Mary Gillespie. Poor Mary Gillespie. We've got to help Mary Gillespie. There was a lot of people. They had a tough time. I think of about Ron who lost his life. Right. Gordon Massey. Not saying that what he and Mary was doing was right, but good night. The turmoil. It doesn't even tell what these other people in the city, what their letters said. Right. But it was accusing them of, of stuff too. And on top of that, now you have our boy, Paul, who goes to jail for how many years? Yeah. Like the story's not just all Mary. I wish I could say, one person was impacted by this, maybe two indirectly, but there's so many people that's directly affected by this story. Right. Are are all these people still alive? No. So Paul passed away. Ron obviously died. Mary, I believe, is still alive. And another key person, I believe, is also still alive. We've not heard about this person but we're about to in the conspiracy theories. There's eight total conspiracy theories of who could have been the writer. Okay. I've got a wild tale that I'm going to tell you at the very end. About something like this? This is Nope, This it it is about this. I'm going to give you my theory beginning to end that ties this all up nicely. I think once you hear one of these theories, you're going to go, that's clearly it but I know where they all tie together because that's what I did. Okay. Okay. I'll wait. I can tell you one of these conspiracies, one of these eight Mm -hmm. is the one where I pointed and go, that's the tie. And this is how everything ties together. Okay. Are you ready for the first one? Let's roll it. Theory number one involves David Longberry, who was one of the early suspects in the Circleville letters case. David Longberry was a school bus driver who worked in the same school district as Mary Gillespie and Paul Freshour. He was a suspect in the Circleville Letters case due to his previous advances towards Mary Gillespie, which she had rejected. Some theories suggested that he might have been involved in the anonymous letters, possibly out of resentment or anger towards Mary. The letters contained intimate details about Mary's personal life, including the affair, which raised suspicions about someone with close knowledge of her private matters. However, he passed a polygraph test and was never officially charged or implicated in the case. So we talked about our boy David in the very beginning. In the very beginning, you're like, I don't know, this guy, he might have something to it. Yeah. Remember, in the beginning, you said, this sounds like a weirdo because it's the letter said what? Leave my girls alone. Right. Plural. Plural. I'm off that. 
not David. But just as important, he did take a polygraph test and he did pass the polygraph test. Right. So I think we can both at this point say this dude is he had nothing to do with it. Now, what's weird is and where I kind of laugh. What did David get in the mail? He got a letter. From Mary and Ron. That's right. But the letter that they sent didn't say it was from Mary and Ron. Oh. It said, hey, we know you're writing these letters. We know what you're up to. Don't be writing no more of these letters. So they didn't sign it. All right. And they didn't go to his house. Right. That was the first thing I said. Why do you not go confront the guy? Why don't you go to the job and confront the guy? Right. They wrote him. They did the same thing that the letter writer was doing to them. Right. And they didn't say who they was like the the letter writer. Right. And they did plural. So now you're David. You get this letter and you're like, what are they talking about? Who wrote this letter to me? Yeah. Which also made me start thinking of something else, Nick. Thousands of letters from these, 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 this, whoever this person is, right? Mm-hmm. What if it wasn't thousands of letters? What if much like Mary and Ron, other people was getting letters going, I know who did this and I'm going to send a letter. Right. So it, it sort of perpetuated itself like a virus almost. Correct. That's interesting. That's interesting. That's the thought process I came up with early on after I started thinking about it. Cause I'm like, he didn't know who wrote his letter. Right. Now he probably thinks whoever this Circleville letter guy is, he wrote me a letter accusing me of writing letters that I know I've never wrote a letter of. Right. Also, some of these letters they said stayed in block form. Mm-hmm. Some did not stay in block form. Ah, that could be the extraneous in, letters. In fact, a couple of the letters came typed with a type li- uh, typewriter. Mm. Yeah, that doesn't fit. Does not fit. All right. So, moral of the story is, even though David is obviously David and... He's stuck at at a minimum of being accused in the beginning. I think it's clear to say he had nothing to do with it, but it does raise the thought process of there was probably letters that was spewed into this entire thing that didn't have a belong and it wasn't wrote by the Circleville writer at that point. Are you ready for theory number two? I am ready. Theory number two involves Paul Fresher, who became a significant suspect in the Circleville letters case and was eventually convicted of writing some of the threatening letters. Paul Fresher was the brother-in-law of Ron and Mary. He became involved in the Circleville letters case when he and his wife Karen tried to help Mary Gillespie deal with the threatening letters she received. Paul Freshour was initially supportive and wrote letters to individuals he believed might be responsible for the anonymous letters. However, he later became a suspect himself when his handwriting was found to match that of the letters. He was arrested, convicted, and sentenced to prison for attempted murder due to his alleged involvement in a booby trap set up to harm Mary Gillespie. 
The case against Paul Freshour remains controversial, and there are conflicting opinions about his guilt or innocence in the matter. Some believe he was wrongfully convicted and that the evidence against him was insufficient. Others suggest that he may have been involved in the letters, possibly due to his troubled relationship with his wife Karen and the bitter divorce proceedings they were going through. Hey, Paul. I don't even need to hear that. I don't. <laughs> I think. I think you did. Yeah. I think you did. I specifically left that theory in there. I took two stupid theories out. Right. There's other theories. There's zero weight. I'm not, even if you guys ask me, go look it up. There's stupid theories. They're a waste of our time. Yeah. But I specifically left Paul in because I have something we'll go into if you don't go into it. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I don't think it's Paul though. But, and I, the key word is but, based on what the narrator just said. Right. He was convicted and thrown in jail this entire time mm-hmm. for a handwriting analysis. But that's not why he went to jail. He went to jail for attempted murder, not for writing the letters. Right. The letters is what got him put in that spot. But what else did the narrator say? He also wrote letters to people that he thought was writing yes. the letters. Yes, that, that is something I need to hear. Plus, although it doesn't weigh into my theory, it added more that he was going through a bitter divorce, which is why the wife might say something to someone, as mentioned in a previous part. Or, it could be theory three, Nick. Theory 3. One theory that emerged during the investigation of the Circleville Letters case involves Karen Sue, the estranged wife of Paul Fresher and sister-in-law of Mary, the main target of the anonymous letters. According to this theory, Karen Sue might have played a significant role in the letter-writing campaign and the booby trap incident. Evidence and Circumstances 1. Connection to the letters Karen Sue allegedly found some of the anonymous letters at her and Paul's home, including one in the commode. However, she did not keep the letters or immediately report them to the authorities. Instead, she implicated Paul as the letter writer after the booby trap incident involving Mary. 2. Booby trap incident Mary discovered a booby trapped box left on a fence with an obscene message about her daughter. The box contained a loaded gun and was intended to harm Mary when she attempted to remove the message. Paul Fresher's gun was traced back to the booby trap but some believe it is possible that Karen Sue had access to the gun or was involved in setting up the trap. 3. Financial Motive During the divorce proceedings between Karen Sue and Paul Fresher, Karen Sue reportedly stood to gain financially if Paul was convicted and imprisoned. She could secure ownership of their home, custody of their daughters, and potentially claim insurance or other assets. 4. Alibi and alternate suspect. A female bus driver claimed to have seen a large man with sandy hair near the booby trap site before it was discovered. This description did not match Paul Fresher, but it did resemble a man Karen Sue was dating at the time. Additionally, there were mentions of an El Camino car connected to Karen Sue's brother, raising further questions about other potential suspects. 5. Continuing letters, even after Paul Fresher's conviction and imprisonment, the anonymous letters continued to be sent, including threats sent to Fresher himself. This raised doubts about Fresher's sole involvement in the letter-writing campaign, considering that he was incarcerated with limited access to pens and paper. 
Hmm. There's a lot to unpack here, Nick. I might I'm incorporate do my this into mine as well. I'm going I'm going to summarize all this because there was a lot. All right. I'm going to go in the order I want to go in. Not the not the way the narrator did, the narration did, okay? Yep. The day that Mary found that booby trap, there was another school bus driver that had that route before her who saw a man by the booby trap, but when he saw the bus, he started acting like he was peeing. That's what made her look because she thought he was a weird pervert at first. He could be both. He had long, sandy hair. Does not fit the description of Paul Freshour. He had a car beside the road that was a yellow El Camino. Here's the weird thing. Freshour's wife... Her boyfriend at that point, he didn't own a yellow El Camino. But his brother did. Ah. Interesting. So, so, they find the booby trap. Now, I'm I'm throwing all this in here. Because you're going to, here in a minute, you're going to say, what did you just say? I... They find the booby trap. Mary finds the booby trap, calls the police. Police comes and gets the booby trap, gets the gun, the rope, the box, takes it into the station, starts forensics. School bus driver comes to them and said, hey, I heard you found a booby trap. Yeah, yeah, we we found one. I saw a guy with sandy long blonde hair that was standing beside that booby trap with an El Camino. Guess who did? They was like, okay, cool, thanks. They didn't even investigate it, Nick. You're right. You are right. What is their motivation to do that? That's what's weird, Nick. They've dropped the ball in every single circumstance. Right. Now, is it just incompetence? I, at first, I thought incompetence. But why would you crush a truck three days after when it's such a fundamental part of the case at that point? Right. Which which they'd already decided wasn't going to be a case. Yeah. It was an accident. Yeah. Best case scenario. If someone's shooting outside of their window and that's what you're saying, that's why he lost control. Right. That's not an accident. He was trying to kill somebody. Right. That's still a case. Yeah. And and even if they didn't know it at "Ah." the time. They go get that letter later that <laughs> and the testimony of the kids and all this stuff, and they don't reopen it. Correct. Correct. On top of that, Nick, this is why there's so much unpacking on this part. Or right. Unpacking. You have to unpack everything. They sit, They made this man do a handwriting analysis, kept giving him the letters so it would be as close as humanly possible. Right. And they said, imitate this. They didn't say, hey, write this, write this word for word. They said, here's the letter, write this. They yeah. they might as well said, hey, put it on the window and trace it. Yeah, that, do, do your best to imitate do this. Do your best to imitate this. Right. And if I'm Paul, I'm like, 
well, clearly they're going to see I didn't do this. Yeah. But they already had they already had the circumstance where this woman was like, hey, I saw this person that does not fit fresh hour at all's description next to this sign. Right. Yeah, forget it. How does that happen? We got a real easy close to this case. Let's just take this guy. <laughs> I know, right? But but it's it's like this is the part that blows my mind. It makes me go back to again going, was the cops in on this? Because yeah. why would you drop the ball so many times? Right. There's got to be a reason. The problem is we haven't got any story to support this. We've only got the outcomes. We've got no connections to why they'd want to. Unless some high-ranking officials in the cops also got letters that said, don't look into this too deeply. Your secrets can come out too. That's what happened to the Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. They tried to do the same thing with Robert Stack. So, right. I mean, I don't put it past him. Yeah. But how does this guy know everything about everyone? That's crazy. He's the Mothman. He kind of is. <laughs> like, he's the harbinger of yeah. people's bad wills. That's right. That's right. So that's three of the eight so far. The other ones are a little loose, but I still want you to hear them because maybe they'll bring something to light for you too, Nick. All right. Theory number four, the Circleville writer, suggests that the letters were written by more than one person or that a copycat was involved in the case. This theory is based on the observation that there were discrepancies in the writing style and content of the letters, leading some to believe that multiple authors might have been responsible for the threatening communications. Here's a more detailed explanation. 1. Multiple authors, supporters of this theory propose that the Circleville letters were not the work of a single individual but rather a group of people acting together. Each person could have been responsible for writing specific letters, contributing to the variations in handwriting and language observed in the communications. 2. Different motives. Another aspect of the theory suggests that the writers might have had different motives for sending the letters. Some could have been motivated by personal vendettas or grievances, while others might have joined in as a form of mischief or to add to the confusion surrounding the case. 3. Copycat involvement. Additionally, the theory entertains the possibility that, after the initial letters gained notoriety, copycats might have emerged, imitating the style and content of the original letters. This could further contribute to the inconsistencies observed in the letters. Now, the inconsistencies that they're talking about, Nick, mm. it started out every single letter had the same boxy style. All of them. Right. Then they stopped having as much of a boxy style and more along the lines of what you saw the last time. Yeah. But then there was a few that was done via a typewriter. Right. You know what's interesting about that typewriter one, Nick? What? Guess where they found a typewriter way after Paul was out of jail? His wife's house. His wife's house. Mm-hmm. Now, if they were real motivated, I've heard typewriters almost had fingerprints. So Correct. they they could yeah, have Especially tied in the it 70s. They were all different. Yeah. They didn't even check it, Nick. They didn't of course not. Why would they? 
Why so would again, <laughs> So again, I think at this point, what happened is Paul gets out of jail. The police is like, there's no more letters going out. I don't care about no typewriter. Case yeah. closed. Yeah, whatever. It's over. We don't want to find out we put a guy away that we shouldn't have. Correct. Yeah. How crazy of a thought process is that? I didn't want to talk about the typewriter until we got to that right. part because it is a valid part of the story. It went from box lettering mm-hmm. to a more casual style. But he wrote a freaking thousand letters. I would hope it'd get a little more casual. Yeah. Yeah, it was getting it'd comfy. It'd take him a day to write them. Could you imagine how many times he had to rewrite an M so they yeah. all look the same? Yeah. Like when you're trying to do something that's not your typical handwriting, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll have to do that two or three times. I'd have made a stencil by that stage. <laughs> that probably would have been smart. Right. But the fact that some of them was typed, there we don't know that it's the same typewriter they found in Paul's wife's yeah. house, but it was hidden in the attic, I believe is what the story was. Right. Right. I, I chance to say now, it probably was, but now maybe she just happened to put some stuff up in the attic and typewriters, one of them, maybe yeah. she didn't need to do typing anymore. Maybe now people's going, she had a typewriter. Some of those is typewritten. I think it's her. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll never know that now. So, cause they we'll just didn't bother. That. They just didn't bother. Correct. Correct. Time for the next one, Nick. All right. Theory number five, public hoax. This theory suggests that the entire Circleville letters case was an elaborate public hoax orchestrated by someone or a group of people. The motive behind this theory could be to create panic, generate attention, or manipulate public perception in the community. Supporters of this theory argue that the complexity and audacity of the letters, as well as the extensive media coverage they received, might have been part of a well-planned scheme to gain notoriety. The idea that the letters were never intended to lead to actual harm, but to exploit the community's fear and curiosity, is at the core of this theory. Nah. I wanted to throw it out, Nick, but Mm -hmm. the reason I didn't, have you ever seen the movie The Village? I have. I have seen that. Anyone that does not know the village is by M. Night Shyamalan. Did I say his name right? M. M. Night I'm, I'm Surprisingly, Shyamalan? I think Shyamalan. you did. No one gets that right the first Perfect. time. <laughs> Bam! He wrote and produced and I believe even had a cameo in the movie The Village. Yeah, he always does. The The, the premise is... Everyone in the town knows about this mysterious thing that's supposed to scare the younger folks to keep them indoors for a certain time period. But everybody's in on it except for the young folks. What if this all started to get some notoriety for Circleville, Ohio, but then turned into something else? Have you ever heard that old saying? Three people can keep a secret only if two of them are dead. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. No, I, I can't that's buy true. that. I, I mean, it's an interesting setup for a movie. Like you said, interesting. It's a great, this entire thing. I can't believe it's not become a story. I'd love to see it, this a as a mini series. Me too. I would totally watch this. Yeah. Let's, let's act it out. So that <laughs> was, that one was one that I would typically throw out Nick, but I'm like, is it possible? Maybe. Like, if it was more than a 10% chance, I kept it in. That's why there's yeah. eight. There was two where I'm like, 
that's stupid. Why, why anyone would even think that's beyond my comprehension. So I kicked two of them out. Yeah. It, it's fun to talk about it. It was interesting discussion, but I don't believe that. That one. I don't believe at all either. No. Next. Theory number six, law enforcement conspiracy. This theory proposes that local law enforcement might have been involved in the letter writing or cover-up, leading to the lack of progress in the investigation and the presence of controversial evidence. Supporters of this theory point to the slow progress of the investigation and alleged mishandling of evidence as potential signs of a cover-up. Some have questioned the motives and actions of certain law enforcement officials during the case. Nick, though... I'm not as big of a fan of this one. Yeah. I would still put a 20% chance of them being in on this letter writing in some capacity. If I didn't have my own hypothesis and theory, the reason for that is they've dropped the ball every single time. Yeah. We've talked about this. Really? It's a part of it. It's gotta be at a minimum. They're irresponsible. Right. They should never have been any kind of sheriff or police department. They threw a man in jail that at best, at best, did not necessarily do everything that was said of him doing. Right. Because you can prove it. When he's in jail in solitary confinement, the letters are still going out. Which makes me wonder, mm-hmm. let's let's forget my theory and hypothesis. Right. If I'm trying to say, that's the guy, I know it's the guy, we're good over here, would I write some letters and send them out if I was corrupt? Uh, you know. I'm not saying it's a good hypothesis, but if if it's more than 10%, I would give that one 20. That's better than the last one, in my opinion. Yeah, the last one just didn't explain anything. It was just it did. talking about a side effect. Which I think we can agree, yeah, well, probably. Yeah, but what they're saying is they think that the law enforcement was in on the writing of the letters, too. Uh, see, that I don't believe. I don't believe they got time to do a thousand letters, if that makes sense. No, I think but they were thousand, involved in getting letters. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah, 100%. But I also think that out of the thousand letters that was probably sent, probably three to 400 was a byproduct of someone else writing a letter or copycats right or hoaxes or whatever it may be. So I don't think all over 1000 over 20 years was the same person. Mm. No, I, I bet there's probably at least a 30 or 40% of air in that number. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Have you ever seen that series making a murderer? Yes, with uh, Avery, right? Yeah. And Stephen how, Avery? Yeah, and how absolutely corrupt and terrible these cops were. Oh, yeah. These are the same guys, I'm sure of it. For, yeah, they threw him in jail for something that they confirmed he did not go to jail for. Yeah. And then, like like I say, the second one, did he do it? Maybe. Who knows? Which also, if you've not seen that documentary, go to Netflix. Mm. It's called To Make a Murderer. I think there's three seasons of that. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I remember two specifically. It's called that. Yeah. yeah making a murderer. Sure. Making a murderer. Or making a murderer. Yeah. That's it. Um, but same That's a great kind one. of Stephen things. Avery. They, Very similar. Yeah. Because the cops in that case, like, 
I mean, it's quite old now. I'm sorry if I spoil it for someone, but uh, those cops wanted an easy solve, and they for didn't sure. like the guy. Correct. So that's it. That's all there well, was to it's because it. Because he... He was supposed to make a lot of money off of him, though. That's why. Right. After he was found innocent. Um, obviously, we can't say what he did due to rules and regulations with podcasts, but. It was bad. He did some really bad stuff. He, no, he was accused of it. Accused of it. Correct. Right. And he it turned accused, out. Well, I'm talking about the first thing. Yeah, but he. But he was found innocent. Right. Let's, let's put it this way. The first one, he was found innocent because of DNA, if that's any indication of what yeah. he was accused of. But they got DNA and they go, oh, yeah, no, that's not the, the guy. Right. And then the second time, I don't know on the second time. That one's, I've watched the entire thing and I still don't know that I know the answer to that. I think the second time he purely went to prison. Because if he hadn't gone to prison, they would have had to pay it. What was it? Fifty million dollars. It was a lot. It was a lot. Millions, it was millions anyway. Millions of dollars. Yeah, but then guess what? They didn't have to. That. They did not have to. Which again, when you look at that, you almost have to lean back and go, "How much of that is similar to this case?" Yeah. Well, what we don't know do is Paul a guy that's not well liked. Um, his wife doesn't seem to like him because she's telling everyone she possibly can he's involved in this thing. Uh, does she know some cops? Do the cops know him and don't like him? Easy solve. That's the thing. In this story, there's none of that because nobody dug into it. That's what's yeah. crazy to me. Nobody dug into this story like they should have. And that's the frustrating part right. because us now looking at it goes, Man, there's a lot to this that doesn't make sense. Yeah. You ready for the next one, Nick? I am. Bring it on. Theory number seven, unknown enemy. This theory suggests that the Circleville letters were the work of an unidentified person or individuals with a personal vendetta against specific individuals in Circleville. Supporters of this theory argue that the letter's targeted nature and the inclusion of personal information about the victims point to an individual with a motive related to their private lives. This could be someone seeking revenge or trying to manipulate and intimidate the victims for personal reasons. Now this, Nick, almost the reason I kept this in, I don't like this theory a ton, but the reason I kept this in, and this is a thought process that was going through my brain the mm. entire time. When it comes to crimes against your property, people breaking in and stealing things. Yeah. What percentage of that that crime consists of someone that lives within 10 miles of, of your house? I'd say like 90%. Do you know what that statistic is? Like 90. It's 70-some percent. Yeah, it's pretty like, high. It's like 73 to 75%. Yeah. The reason, do you know why that is? It's people don't like to carry stuff very far. Well, <laughs> that, that would a, be my reasoning. That's a great, that's logic. <laughs> it's, it's typically, they say it's a crime that they don't anticipate doing. It's not premeditated. Right. It's opportunity based on opportunity. Right. So what happens is these are people that lives near you that knows when you're coming home, mm -hmm. when you're leaving, but just as important. And I do this now at my house, Nick. Mm-hmm. Let's say I buy a big screen TV. Right. 
I will not put the box to that big screen TV out I until the either. day of trash. And I'm, I'm trying to rip it up or tear it or put it to where you can't see I got a new TV. Yeah, I, I keep all my boxes. It's a real problem. I've got a whole bedroom just full of I empty boxes. Yeah, Jess would probably tell you the same thing. She'd be like, this dude, his boxes. She's going to listen to this podcast. She's going to go, exactly, throw yeah. your boxes away. I can't No, I got boxes no. literally to everything. You don't know when you're going to need a box. Or you never know when you're going to upgrade what you have, and then you right. take that and you put it back in this original box. Yeah, I've sold all my old phones, and they come in the original box with all the accessories. Exactly. Brand new to the new owner. Just listen to what Nick says. I'm it makes a lot you. of sense. I think there's a lot of logic there. Yeah. The boxes ain't going anywhere, Jess. Sorry. The, I'm sorry. It's just a part of our life. Yeah. They've been here since day one. They're going to continue to be here for exactly what Nick said. Yeah. What if I want to resell it? The resale yeah. value goes way down without a box, Nick. Heck yeah. Like people buy my phones and they're like, man, these are brand new. Based you are a reputable box. seller. See, that's what I'm saying. And then you get a five-star on eBay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that makes a little bit of credit. Let's say, right. and it goes back to what you were saying a couple minutes ago, Nick. What if someone had something against Paul Freshour? Let's say it's a neighbor. They're in the garage, you know, maybe hanging out, talking about stuff. And yeah. Paul just shows him his gun one day. Right. They're talking about guns or hunting or something. Oh, I got this gun over here I bought. I bought it off a coworker of mine, blah, 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 blah. And he shows it. Well, then that neighbor says, oh, yeah, I saw Paul's got one of those guns. Then it becomes word of mouth. Yeah. Again, it's a small city. What if someone had a personal vendetta against Paul? Right. And he knows some of the stuff about Paul. Mm -hmm. It's possible. Yep. That's all I'm saying. And then there's one more, Nick. Are you ready? I'm ready. Our last of tonight, theory number eight, unconnected pranksters. This theory posits that the Circleville letters were the work of unrelated pranksters or individuals with no specific motive or personal connection to the victims. According to this theory, the letters may have been part of a series of pranks or malicious acts without a deeper agenda. The writers could have enjoyed the chaos and fear they caused without any intention of causing physical harm. Here's the here's thing, Nick. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the way they started, but I think at the end, because now everyone in town's getting these letters. Right. I think there's a percentage of that that is occurring. I'm not saying that's what's caused all this. Yeah. But I think at the end, it's a significant amount of it. Yeah. And this sort of ties into, I can't remember if it was five or six there where it's like, you know, just copycats. Oh, this for is, sure. You know, 100%. It's a portion of the copycat letters is these other guys who are just doing things to be 1970s edgelords or whatever. For sure. Like, so doesn't explain much of the whole scenario. I don't buy that it started that way. Absolutely not. Yeah, I no. don't agree with that at all. I think that it was a contributing factor. I think there's a lot of contributing factors. The police obviously had a contributing factor to all this. Right. I think there was copycats at the end that was pranksters. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm trying to get, uh, let's use for example, I'm trying to prank my cousin, right? And I'm like, I know you stole that last piece of pizza from the pizza box over at your cousin yeah. Bert's house. You know, um, 
But if, if you don't know, you're like, Oh my God, like, how does he know this? That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think that that's a, a part of it. Now, what I want to know, Nick, you've heard everything from right. beginning to end, more twists and turns than probably Circleville itself. If he's driving around the city, mm-hmm. okay. what do you think happened? All right, here we go. So uh, this is going to hit all the bases. Let me get out my notebook here. Can't wait. Okay. <clears throat> it's pretty complicated, so I hope I do this right. <laughs> we have two couples, Mary and Ron Gillespie, who are connected through Paul and his wife, Karen Sue. They spend time with each other. They go to each other's houses. And often when you do these things, the wives go in one room, become friends, whatever. The men hang out together. All these kind of things. Over time, Mary and Gordon start to form a relationship. Now, as you said in the beginning, back in those days... You can't just break up. You can't just have affairs. Anything like that. We need some kind of way to get Ron out of the picture. Well, over the years, Mary and Karen became good friends. Mary's not having a good time with Paul either. What if there was a way that they could work together to solve both their problems? So, Mary starts sending letters to herself to back up her case. Sends some to Gordon as well. They're in this together. He probably doesn't know about it, but it makes him feel closer. Trauma bonding. That kind of thing. She uses the letters to tell on herself to Ron, but then also to persuade him that it's not really going on, so much so that he allows her to go out of town and spend time with Gordon. They go out of town. Mary, from far away... Oh, I missed a part here. Mary also says, You know, I bet it was that David down at the bus depot. You remember he was hitting on me and I turned him away because I'm not that kind of a lady? And Ron is like, Well... That's it. I'm going to go confront him. She's like, no, Ron, don't do it. Send him a letter. Send him a letter. I don't want any big confrontations. I don't want you to get in a fight. Whatever. Let's send him a letter. They send him a letter. Right after that, she stops sending letters to anyone for a couple months. That makes Ron look like a guilty party. So... Eventually, they have to put their plan into further action. Mary goes away with Gordon. They're out of town. Perfect alibi. Now, the brother to Karen, I believe it was? Was he the sandy hair guy? No, that was her boyfriend. Oh, her boyfriend. Who they could possibly... But her brother... Her her boyfriend's brother owned the El Camino right. that was potentially seen on the side of the road. So they feed all kinds of information to these guys, and they call Ron 
while Mary's out of town with Gordon. They've got a perfect alibi. Couldn't possibly be them. They lure him out. Somehow get him wasted. I don't know if it's force feeding him, whatever. All that kind of stuff. Kill him, make it look like an accident. He's out of the picture. Now, they come out and say, you know, over all this tragedy and stuff, this has brought us together and we've become a couple now. It's not... We weren't doing this. We were forced into this by this horrible letter writer. Meanwhile, it's time to get rid of Paul now. We want Paul to look like he's responsible for all of this. Mary and Karen both know where the gun is. Mary, or the boyfriend or brother, set up the trap. Mary knows what it does. She steps to the side of it, pulls it off, it goes off. She's like, oh no. It would have looked to like everyone on the bus that she narrowly escaped death. Meanwhile, she knew. Oh, she didn't even, she, it, it didn't even fire. Right. Oh, okay. She pulled, she pulled, but not hard enough for it to fire. Right. So, suspicious. So she escapes her fate. The cops now have all of this. The gun they had gotten who knows how long before. Very easily could have gotten it. They try filing it off a little bit and decide not to do it all the way. So it would be traced back to Wesley. Wesley, they then trace it to Paul. It's missing from his garage. He had no idea that it was gone whatsoever. So now he's in prison. Meanwhile, um, Paul's wife or whatever has already gone to Mary to make confessions about Paul to the cops, however, um, all these things. So he's put away. They keep sending it the letters while he's in prison. They actually do slip up once and say we. And then once he gets out, they don't want anyone to look into it any further. They stop. End of story. That's strong. If if you're looking for a mini series right there, Nick wrote it all out for you. Yep. And someone I along think, lines was left-handed. I, th- <laughs> I think I think I agree with you most of the way. Okay. Most of the way. Where did I lose you? Here's where I here's what I think happened. Or this is my hypothesis. Okay. Much like you. I believe Mary and Gordon had this thing going on. Mm. Small town. There's not a lot of places you're going to be able to sneak off and do this kind of thing. Yeah. It's not like there's like five hotels in Circleville and three motels. You may have had a hotel, a motel. If you're doing it on the job, it's a small town and rumors fly quick. Oh, yeah. Real quick. Mm-hmm. I think someone goes to Paul and says, hey, there's something going on here. I don't know if you know this. And I think he got with Karen and said, how do we stop this? Because he doesn't want to tell Ron, as I think will happen. Right. I think Paul sent the first series of letters. Okay. Or should I say he sent it to, to Gordon first, right? Because he's like, screw this guy. This is his fault. 
And then he sent it to Gordon's school because he's mad at Gordon. He's like, screw that guy, mm-hmm. screw his job. Then he sends it to Mary. And I mean, it's tight knit. You know, they're really close. It's tight knit family. I think Paul comes over and says, Hey Ron, how's everything going, man? You know, is everything good with the wife and stuff? And Ron's like, yeah, man, everything's good, man. We're having chicken on Friday. It's the bomb digging mashed potatoes right. and green beans. And then Paul goes, that doggone hoochie. <laughs> Next thing you know, he sends a letter to Ron. I think all this is going on. Now we start getting copycats. People is like, oh, this is some mystery stuff. And I think there's stuff going on in the background. All right. But in addition to that, I think Karen's in on it. Karen's helping. Karen's aware of what's going on. Karen mm-hmm. might be helping to write some of the letters. The Ron thing, I think that could have even been a hoax. Someone could have called him like, oh, yeah, it's me. <laughs> I know what's going on. Yeah. Ron goes out to confront, and I think that was some form of a freak accident. But I think the cops bumbled the entire thing. I just don't think they yeah. put in the work. It's my thing. No. They're not used to it, small town. Yeah, small town. This is like big news happening in a small town. This is Mayberry. Correct. <laughs> I think Ron dies now. Paul is ticked. It's because of his wife that all this happened. Mm. I think he tells Karen. And Karen goes, what are we going to do about it? Paul goes, I wish she's dead. I think he and her, he and her work together. Maybe he didn't even go through with it, but Karen's like, screw it. I'm doing it Mm. because maybe she had her boyfriend on the side. I just thought of this. What if she had her boyfriend on the side and she didn't want no one to know. Right. She knows where Paul's gun is because it's in the garage. It's not like he didn't tell her where the gun was. Yeah, she's probably been in the garage once or twice. But not only that, it's her husband. You know, he's going to tell her everything. Right. She goes and gets the gun. I take back everything I said. I think she had the boyfriend on the side. Mm -hmm. Saw that as an opportunity to get rid of Ron. Right. Because it said she went over and talked to Mary after Mm -hmm. Ron was put in jail. Was like, I think it was him, girl. I think it was a him. And Mary's like, you think so? Because why would a wife accuse their husband? I think he went to jail. Karen's writing all the letters because now she's even using a typewriter. Typewriter's found. He gets out of jail. There's no more reason for it. She let it go. But I don't think Ron said anything in the beginning because he was part of it in the beginning. Right. Also, on his deathbed, when Unsolved Mysteries or one of them came to him after and was like, hey, did you have any part of this? And then he said, nope. And they said, what about Karen? And he goes, no, yeah, I don't, I don't really know anything about her. Like she does her life. I do my life. I've got my own family. We don't talk anymore. I've moved. Right. On. Yeah. There's something to that for me. But hopefully all of y'all in Streamland watching this on Obviously, YouTube, or if you're listening to it on Spotify, Apple, Sirius, wherever you're 
you're you're doing the dog on thing at. We appreciate you. Hopefully you enjoy the story. Please, 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 wherever you are, if there's a rating system, can you throw a rating on there for us? Let us know we're doing a good job. Or if you yeah, have a place a to help. comment, yeah, just let us know. Um, and obviously, if you got a place to comment, let us know what you think of the story. On our social medias, hit us up. What is it you want to hear? You know, like last time, the Mothman, you guys love that. We appreciate each and every one of you that took the time to listen to it. So far, it's been our busy, biggest success so far, Nick. Yeah, big time. People with, a, people with no really small it. margin. And that was a yeah. story that you guys chose. That's the best part. No matter how great of a story we think we've got, you guys know what you want to hear. So anytime yeah. you have an opportunity to provide us with some of that insight, please do. Oh, yeah. And you got to get on the Instagram for this episode. Like, this there's one. stuff you have to see. Yeah. Nick and I was looking at it as this was going on, and I think even he was shocked with some of the stuff I I had in there. Because we're going to have the police reports on there. Um Obviously, I'll have some letters in there so you can see what the writing looked like. Uh, picture of the booby trap. <laughs> I mean, uh, Ron's <laughs> truck. There's all kinds of stuff in there. Yeah, it's wild. It's it's just too wild to not see. It's a great story. This has been probably one of my favorite stories to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I was glad I got to enjoy that with you, Nick. Thank you so much for obviously yeah. knocking out your part. I can't wait to get your notes up on the Instagram also. Oh, you got me all conspiracyed up. I'm, <laughs> like, I think my story's real, and I'm living in that. Oh, heck yeah. That's the best way to live it, dude. Best way. Yeah. Well, obviously, we're going to rock it out here. Thanks for each and every single one of you until we see you all in the next one, which is going to be in about a week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.